Our thoughts are centered this morning in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, reading in verses 1 through 5, reads this. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he would have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what, hath, what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. For now to him that worketh, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The last verse of the last psalm that we sang reads this. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't have blind faith. Faith is not something that is subjective. Faith is objective. I can't see faith like I see Brother Bob Townsend here right now and come up to him and shake his hand and all that, but it is objective. It is not something that is miscellaneous. It's something that we can grasp. It's something that we can hold. It's actually a real thing. That's what Abraham had. And what this verse is saying here is, what saith on the scriptures that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? If you look from Genesis chapter 12 into around verses or around Genesis 22, you see the life of Abraham. You see all that that man went through. You see how God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, led him into a land that he did not know what was going to happen right there. And finally, in the culmination of all things, he offered up his son unto God that he actually did not have to sacrifice for him because God was faithful. God made a promise to that man that in thee all nations of the earth shall be blessed. He made a promise to him saying that I'm going to make of thee a great nation. And eventually he said that seed would come from you. At this point, when this promise was made to Abraham, he was 75 years old. Sarah was 65 years old. They had gone the way of the earth. They were not able to actually have children. But yet when God said a seed is going to come from you and from Sarah, God made it happen. And when Abraham believed that, to his account, it was held as righteousness. Now here's something that we've got to look at when we talk about justification by faith and belief in the faith of Abraham. You believing something does not make it true, but it makes it true to you and that you actually believe it. You can understand it from that standpoint. If I disbelieve that there's a kitchen out there, that doesn't make it to where there's no kitchen out there, but me believing that there's a kitchen behind us right now, it's it's evidence to me. I understand that here. It's no different with us, God, child of God. God is righteous. God will always be righteous. God is faithful. He is always going to be faithful whether you believe it or not. But when you believe that, that is counted to you as righteous righteousness. It justifies you in the courtroom of your own mind. Not that it changes anything in the course of eternity, but it makes you realize that God is faithful and what he said about eternity is actually true. Such it is with Abraham. He said, what saith then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? He found that he was utterly unable if you were Abraham and God called you out of the land of Jackson, Mississippi, and he just said, 
go forth to a land that I will tell you of. How much faith do you think that that took? Do you think that Abraham trusted God? I think he did because he didn't know where he was going. He counted God faithful in him doing that. Child of God, when you and I see what we need to do from the word of God, when the word of God says to ascribe to these teachings, when he says to come to the house of God, when he says to believe what I said, when he says go out as saints of God and do the works of God, do you believe that? Do you count that as faithful as a message from God to do? Amen. We should. We come to a point in Genesis chapter 15 where it reads this. Genesis chapter 15 and verses 1 through 6 reads this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said in a vision, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing as I go childless and a steward in my house, this Eleazar of Damascus. See, Abraham didn't have a child at this point. His name wasn't even Abraham because there came a point later on in these chapters where we see God spoke to him again. And he said, you're going to receive circumcision as a sign of the seal of the covenant that I'm with you. And then his name was changed to Abraham. Abraham had not done that much in his life. He had gone to Egypt and he had lied to the king of Egypt that Sarah, his wife, was his sister because he didn't want to die. We don't see too much good about Abraham coming to this point other than the fact that he left and he had his faith in God. You see, child of God, your faith, your belief in God is not based off of what you do. Now, what you do should be an evidence of why you believe it. For example, why do we come to church this morning and serve the living God? Because we know what Jesus has done for us. We have believed what he has done for us. When he said it was finished, we believed that it was actually finished. When he came and was a babe in the virgin's womb and when he came in the manger of Bethlehem, we believed that that was actually true. When he said he has forever sanctified his people, we believed that. When he justified them, we believed that too. The evidence of us believing that to the people around us is us being here. That is justification by works. And you see, it doesn't matter in the course of what we believe, but it's evident to the people around us. The faithfulness of Abraham through his works was manifest to the people around him. But you actually believing that, that's between you and God. That's what you see from him. And he says it this. I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. There's no reason physically to believe that Abraham is going to have a child. But what did God say? And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying this, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now to the heaven and tell the stars if you were able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Let me ask you this, child of God. This was the daytime that Abraham was seeing this. Have you ever seen a star in the day? It's a lot harder than when it's at night. But yet when Abraham looked up at the sky through the revelation of God, he saw thousands and thousands of stars and planets at this point from the revelation of God. Have you seen stars in the heaven in your life? Have you seen things that angels desire to look into? Have you seen by the Spirit of God the gospel opened up to you in a way that you could not deny it and it stimulated your belief and you saw it and you wanted to follow that? 
That is counted to you for righteousness. It doesn't change the fact that God has already done this within you. It does not change the fact that Jesus has already died for you. It doesn't change the fact that God's already faithful. But I'm going to tell you, child of God, when you believe that, when you hold on to to that, here's what Hebrews 13 says about that. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 said this about people who believe and obey the word of God, what they're able to hold closely with them. It says in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, working out your own salvation. This is the answer to what we have already heard. This is what faith, active faith, is supposed to do. It said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is why you do those things. It's a thankfulness aspect to the one who has given you everything. To the one who is truly faithful. He will never forsake you. And here's what it is. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Child of God, there's been times in my life where I've been sitting right there, and I was not doing what I should have as a child of God. It did not change the fact that I was. It did not change the fact that the Lord was my helper, that he was good to me all the days of my life. But I was not able to boldly say the Lord is my helper because I was not doing the things that I needed to do. I didn't feel it as closely as I should because I had pushed him out of areas in my life. Child of God, hold to him. Do not let covetousness and the things of this world and sin just rule your life. Let the Lord be the ruler of your life that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh, how hard it is for us to do that sometimes. Abraham was not perfect in that. There were times where Abraham doubted, just like we saw there. And there would be a time where he would have an illegitimate son named Ishmael from the bondmaid of Sarah. And there was literally a time where God came to Abraham and he said, I told you a seed would come out of thine own bowels. And behold, here is this son right here. And Abraham in great agony states, would to God that Ishmael be the son? I don't think that was Abraham just directly going against God. I think that was the agony of his flesh because he loved Ishmael. He didn't want to see him go away. But that's not what God said. He said the promise seed would come forth of thine own bowels and he would make a great nation of him. How important is it that we trust the Lord? How important is it that we walk in his ways, how important it is that we believe him and walk to that extent. It says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God, back in Romans 4 and 2. For the scripture saith, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. In closing, I want to go to Genesis chapter 22. 
James says the trial of our faith worketh patience, and that patience should have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word perfect there means complete. It does not mean that you perfect yourself by following the Lord, but it does mean that you are complete when you believe God and you follow Him. That's what a child of God is to do. That's what an obedient child of God is to do. Sometimes those trials of our faith are very, very difficult. Sometimes those trials of our faith are past what we can do in our own minds, what we can do physically. Let me give you an example. Gideon was up against the host of 135,000 men. Guess how many he had? 300. What are the odds that those men could actually fight and win? Every man was outnumbered 450 to 1. Now let's look at this. Take away all of the 300's weapons. Give them a clay pitcher in their hand and give them a trumpet. Now, Sam and Cooper back there, they are in a band concert. And I'll tell you, some of those instruments, you can do some damage with them, but not compared with a sword and with a spear. The odds here are very, very low, if not impossible, for them to ever win. They couldn't have ever won. But God was with them. That changes everything, child of God. We can be a little assembly as as the world's standards go, but if the Lord is with us, we are the most powerful army that the world has ever seen. That's with you and your individual battles, too. I don't care how small they are. I don't care how big they are. The fact that you believe that Jesus Christ is faithful and he, that he has done everything that you need so far as a strength perspective goes in our little lives to go through and serve him, that is enough. The Apostle Paul said this of him, I know whom I believe in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Is he not faithful to where we in our lives commit the keeping of our souls to him? Surely he has kept them in eternity. He has told us that he has kept them. He keeps the little battles in our life too. No matter how big or how small they are. And Abraham found one of these battles. And it says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, In the days that come to pass for God to tempt Abraham or test Abraham, and it says, and he, God said to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him up there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. This was the promised seed. This was Abraham's son. This is probably the most cherished thing that he's ever had in his life. This is something that God gave him that was against nature. They were not supposed to physically have this child, but because the Lord was there, the child came. And when they were journeying to that mountain, it took them three days. I wonder what Abraham was thinking in those three days. I've heard preachers say that there was a lot of doubt in his mind, and I've even heard a movie say, haven't I shown you enough faith that Abraham said that? The Bible doesn't say that. The only thing that the Bible gives us grounds to say is that Abraham rose up early in the morning. It doesn't sound like Abraham was doubting the Lord at all. It sounded like he believed him, 
just as much as he did in Genesis chapter 15 where it says he believed God and he counted it unto him for righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15 would say this, that he accounted God able to raise him from the dead even if he did sacrifice him. But it finally came to a point, by the way, we should be that way too with our trials. If we come to something that is difficult for us and the Lord has told us that he would bring us through us, we should be able to rise up early in the morning too. We should be able to go after those things quickly because the Lord has promised us that he is faithful with those things. I'm trying to find my verse that I want to go to. Verse 13 in Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him... Wait, well, I'm sorry. That's not backing up far enough. Verse 9, excuse me. And they came to the place where God had told of him, and Abraham built there an altar, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar of wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. That was the purpose of him taking up the knife. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He's available for the voice of the Lord. He hears the voice of the Lord when he calls. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And the Lord went up unto, or, um, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. This is probably the most vivid picture that we have in the entire Bible of the Lord with his people. The Lord with Jesus as the replacement sacrifice for us. When Abraham took that knife, he had all intention of slaying his son because he counted God faithful. As an understatement, that was hard. That was really hard. And the moment when he had the knife here, the Lord called out and he said, stop. You know, that was us. We were under the condemnation of God. We had disrespected him in his own sight. And he saw every bit of that. He would have been just to slay us. He would have been just to to condemn us to a burning, fiery hell. But yet the scene does not end how we think it should end. What happened? Abraham looked over and he saw the most unlikely animal to ever get caught up in a bunch of thorns that you've ever seen. Deer eat those things, by the way. I mean, rams don't get caught in thickets. They're big, powerful animals and they mean business. Why in the world did we ever see Jesus in the manger? Why in the world did we ever see the Son of God, powerful, mighty, 
coming as a lowly lamb and subjecting himself to the obedience of God and being caught in a place where he never had to be caught and being offered up for a sacrifice for you and me. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he cares for you, that he was sacrificed for you. His blood was shed for you. Child of God, that's our lot this morning. I thank you for your kind attention. chapter 15 about Abraham Abram came was at this point there's always been a, a little bit of, of uh, chapter 15 and 1 that verse is always something that jumped out at me one day it says after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying fear not Abram I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward those things that the Lord was bringing to our attention after these things was also of another battle that is what John Mark brought to us about Gideon there in the 300. Abraham had just returned from the battle of the kings. He took 318 trained servants, not soldiers, and won against an army of I think about five kings and was victorious in not losing even one man, returning everything that they had taken from, his, especially his nephew Lot. Everything, even down to the spoils that those armies had took, he brought back by the grace of God. Amen. By the grace of God, at this point now, Abraham, in seeing that, and Brother John Mark brought out how that, you know, we don't see a whole lot about Abraham. Yes, he's faithful, in following the Lord's words of, of going forth out of the earth Chaldees. But at this point, Abraham has seen also that he just went into a battle that odds were not in his favor as man would look at it. But it doesn't matter what man looks at, it's what God was there with him. He was with him. And that was counted for faithfulness in what he believed. He believed God. And it counted to him for faithfulness. Very thankful for what Brother John Mark has brought to our attention. And I want to try to hook on a little bit to what he has brought to our attention this morning. Some verses that are found in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. These are some verses that have always been some very special verses to me. And my mind was stirred up yesterday on these. And had them on my mind again this morning. So I want to look at them. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
verses 13, 14, and 15, it says, Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here Peter is writing, and he tells us, and I want to probably look at verse 15 the most this morning, start there and back up just a little bit. But he tells us, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, Brother John Mark has just brought to us about what Abraham has done and about how in believing the Lord and believing that the Lord counted him faithful and that when the Lord told him he would have a son, he would have a natural son, him and Sarah, even though they were past the age of having, he sanctified the Lord God in his heart and in belief. But I want to look at it just a little bit about that word sanctify. Now, before I get ahead of myself, when you think about what it says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, that's not telling us, Peter's not telling us, you know, if you'll do these things that will sanctify us in order to get us to heaven, that we'll be sanctified in the eyes of God. God is the only one that can sanctify us in the fact of seeing, looking down and saying that we are holy. That word sanctified means to be holy, to set apart. And we've been set apart. We've been sanctified in the sense of, of heaven and eternal glory. That only can be done by God. Amen. That's the only one that can sanctify us for our heaven and immortal glory. As a matter of fact, even in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we have a couple of places we can look there where the writer says in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and 10, but the which uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Here the writer, here Paul writes, it says that the offering of Jesus Christ is what sanctifies us once for all. There's only one way that we are sanctified in the eyes of God. When God the Father or God looks at us and says, you are made holy, it is because He is looking at us through the offering of Jesus Christ. He's looking at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. What He did on that cross. And if you come down to verse 14, he says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He says, By that one offering, we've been sanctified. We've been made holy. We've been made righteous. We have been made perfect in the sense of being made perfect to, in God's eyes through Jesus Christ, through that offering. But then verse 14, he says, That offering was forever. It doesn't end. That sanctification there is only by God, and God is the one that looks at it and sees it. And just so that we know what was sanctified, we can flip over to First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, and I think it's verse twenty-three. I want First Thessalonians, verse chapter five, verse twenty-three, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now, sanctification means holy, H-O-L-L-Y. But Paul here is writing that the very God of peace sanctify you holy, which is W-H-O-L-L-Y. There's a difference there. This holy here means every bit of us. Right. Every little part of us. He says, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved and blameless from the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 is, 
that that sanctification that Jesus Christ on that cross, that act there sanctified us forever and completely, body, soul, and spirit has been made holy. Yes, now brothers and sisters, I know we all looked in the mirror this morning and we saw a part of us that hadn't been made holy yet. But in the eyes of God, it will happen. There, when we're born again, whenever that uh, blood of Jesus Christ and that sacrifice was applied vitally to us, when we heard that still small voice that said live, that soul and spirit was sanctified. It was cleansed. It was made perfect. It was ready. It's ready right now for heaven and a born again child of God. Nothing can change that. But Paul says he's going to take also that body. It's been sanctified. It is one day will be made perfect and ready for heaven. It may be when some of us come up out of that grave when the Lord comes back. And it may be also the day that the Lord comes back before we breathe out our last breath. He may part the sky and we'll be changed in the twinkling of light, ready and fit for heaven. But every bit of us will be sanctified. It will be holy. It has already been in the eyes of the Lord, God the Father been set apart. Because he chose us before the foundation of the world. He gave us to the Son. And we were in Jesus Christ when he went to that cross and sanctified us. And sometime between conception, when we breathe out our last breath, that blood will be applied vitally. Right. That blood will be applied vitally and we will be born again. We will be regenerated. I think we have three of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible of when it can happen. It can happen any time in our life. It can happen right. even in when you're in the mother's womb as John the Baptist, he leapt for joy. It can happen in maybe middle-aged or however Paul was when he was on that road to Damascus. Paul one minute was breathing out threatenings and slaughter and the next minute he said, Lord, what would I have me to do? There had been a sanctification. There had been one that had been made holy. That blood had been applied to him. And it can be even moments before we leave this earth. That thief on the cross. One minute he's railing on the Lord. And the next minute he's saying, Lord, remember me about entering to thy kingdom. Brothers and sisters, that's one of those things there that when you see that, when you see that in a true, and I'm saying that the scripture's not true. Don't get me wrong, it's not the word. When you see that with your own eyes sometimes, you really understand the power of God. That someone right before they leave this earth, as far as the, the body is concerned. Someone that you think, well, I don't know. Well, no, I'm going to leave him right where he's always been, in the hands of the Lord. But the Lord shows you something just for moments before they pass. You give Lord all the glory and praise. But Paul says to sanctify the Lord God. How do we sanctify him? You know, the word sanctify, we brought out how that it, it's to set apart, to make holy. You know, the Lord's already set apart. He's higher than the heavens is from us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. He's holy and, and blameless. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's the one that sanctifies us. He's the one that cleanses us. He's the one that the only way that Abraham could leave the Lord was by the, the faith that God had put in him and he exercised that faith. The only way that we can see Him through these Scriptures is because He's blessed us to have eyes that can see and to understand about Him and ears that can hear and receive these things. How can we sanctify the Lord God? He says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. 
The heart is something that a man uses, especially in, in this sense here, for something that is very precious. You set something apart from the things of the world. What is very, very precious to you this morning? What is something that, in your heart of hearts, if you would, if you'd allow me to put it that way, is so precious to you that you would do almost anything? In some cases, some people have done just about anything they could to keep that person or thing or whatever precious to them. You know, I can imagine the first thing that goes through our minds is, you know, maybe your, your spouse, your children, your, someone of your family, or someone you love. You know, there's a lot of people that set some natural things apart and say, that's very precious to me. Well, I, those natural things sometimes can be sentimental, but I've learned as I got a little older, I know some of you learned it even a lot sooner than I did, those things are just worldly things. They come and go. But, you know, there can even be something in our hearts that is precious, like our love. But he says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now that's one there you get to think about for a moment. To sanctify the Lord, to set him apart. Over in the book of Matthew, there's some very familiar verses there in Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Jesus is asking the apostles here, Peter, especially, you know, he we the one that speaks for them, but he's asking the apostles, Who do men say that I am? That's a very good question. If you're Who do men say that God is today? Who, does, who do people what does the world say today about Jesus? What does the world say about the Son of Man? You can get all kind of answers when you ask people out here on the streets. When you ask popular opinion, you're going to get all kind of answers. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Just about every time, popular opinion is going to be wrong. And you can take that on most everything. When it comes to the scriptures or anything dealing with religion, let's go with what the Lord said. Because they tell him what popular opinion says. It says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist. You know, King Herod thought this was John the Baptist that had been resurrected. I guess because he, he had beheaded John the Baptist, you know, for telling him that he couldn't take, you know, Philip, his, his brother's wife. They didn't like that. So he had him killed. He says, now here's John the Baptist resurrected. This was popular opinion among the king. And some say that he was Elias. You know, Elijah did prophesy that there would come one the preaching the gospel. He was talking about the John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But some looked at and said, well, maybe this is Elias come forth again. But he said he was going to come before the Lord, which Jesus had to even tell him that John the Baptist was one that Elijah was prophesying about. Not Elijah coming back again. And then they said, well, others said Jeremiah, sir, one of the prophets. <coughs> Well, he was more than just one of the prophets. He was the prophet that Moses told us about. You can go over into Deuteronomy chapter 18 and talk about how Moses, even in that so many centuries before that, he prophesied there will be a prophet. The prophet will be raised up among the people just like him. But this would be the one that would lead his people. This would be the one that would teach his people. And brothers and sisters, this was the prophet, but they thought it was just one of the prophets. 
You know, even if it's a prophet of God, they still should have been listening to him. Because if he's a prophet of God, God chose him to be a prophet. And God was telling him, thus saith the Lord, you go tell my people. But this wasn't just a prophet, it was the prophet. This is the one who had been teaching all the other old prophets. They still just thought, well, it's just a good man. I've heard that today. Jesus was just a good man. He wasn't the son of God, but he was just a good man. Well, i got a problem. He wasn't the son of God. He was a liar because that's he kept all through Scripture telling him he was the son of God. But he wasn't a liar. He is the father of truth. Amen. He is truth personified. He was the son of God. He was God manifest in the flesh. Amen. But then he turns the question and he saith to them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter knew what the answers were going to be before he asked any of these questions. But Jesus knew, I said Peter, but Jesus knew the answers before he asked Peter any of them. But a lot of times, you know, the Lord, he's not doing things to trip us up. A lot of times the questions are asked to make us think. Who do you say today? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? You don't have to answer out loud, but in your heart, in your mind, think about it. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, Peter answers the question. Very, very good answer. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Thou art the Christ. Now, there's many places in the Bible you will see in speaking of Jesus that the Lord inspired the writers to say either Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or Christ. When you see those, stop for a moment and think about what's under consideration because in the name Jesus meaning Savior, the name Christ meaning the anointed of God. And then there's times that he, called, he is called by the inspiration of God as the Savior that's anointed of God or the anointed of God the Savior. Here, Peter just doesn't say, Thou art Jesus. That was a common name that they knew him by, even though it was a very special name. It was a name told by Mary, by the angel, and thou shalt call him that name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins, because he, he was going to be and is our Savior. But here Peter says, Thou art the Christ. Peter takes it a little further. Thou art the anointed of God. Thou art the one that Moses and Abraham and all of them, this is the one that Abraham saw, I believe, that day on there that Brother John Mark brought to us whenever he was going to, to uh, sacrifice his son, that Abraham saw the Lord that day. And I'm not talking about a literal sense. He looked and he saw there is going to be a Savior. We are. We do have a Savior. He's going to be a Lamb. He's going to be a Lamb that willingly went to the to that sacrifice. Now that Lamb that there that Abraham got, he was caught in the briars. Brothers and sisters, there was no one had to catch Jesus and say, "You're going to go there." He said, "I will go." I, he willingly went to that cross. He knew what those men in those wicked hands were going to do. He willingly went to that cross. Peter says, Thou art the anointing of God. Thou art the one that has come to redeem us. Thou art the one that all the old prophets spoke of. Thou art the great I am manifest in the flesh. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. 
Now let's go back to what we, what we were talking about. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Do you see the Lord like Peter does that day? Do you see Him as the Son of God? Do you see Him as the anointed of God? That's the one, and that's the way that we should always look at Him. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong, that we need to see Him as our elder brother. We need to see Him as our husband. We need to see Him as our Savior. We need to see Him as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We need to see Him as that refuge, that hiding place. There are so many ways we need to look at Him, but we've got to always remember, this is God. And we need to sanctify Him. We need to set Him apart from the things of this world. And I'm talking about them in our heart. What is precious unto you? There's a dear sister in this church building right now that is so precious to me. And I think there's a lot of men who could set that about a sister set by them or one that they know that is so precious to them they would do anything to protect them. Anything they could. And there's a lot of sisters in here that are sitting by someone that would do anything they could to take care of them. And there's probably some little ones and some older little ones that some would say, walking around and talking, that is so precious to you that you would do anything to protect them and take care of them. Well, brothers and sisters, the best way that we can protect them and take care of them is to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Amen. See Him for what He truly is. Our Lord, our Savior, our refuge, our help in a time of need. Because there's going to be so many things that some of you have already experienced, some of you will experience, some of you are going through right now that you cannot handle without the grace of God. He told Abraham, I am thy shield. Brothers and sisters, whenever we face something in this world, we're going to go through trials and tribulations. People, you know, the Lord tells us, in this world ye shall have tribulations. Do we sanctify the Lord God and say, well, let me back up before I get to the point there. When you go through that trial and tribulation, when you're told something, what's the first thing or first person you think of, well, I need to go to and ask? Sometime a medical question, well, i got to go to my doctor. The doctor gives you the same thing that the doctor just got this, the first opinion from, maybe that second opinion. Maybe it is cancer, maybe it's whatever. Well, I need to see a third. I need to see a specialist. And you know that I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful the Lord is blessed for those men and women that are specialists. But when we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, we say, Lord, help me. Lord, what would thou have me to do? Lord, I know you're the great physician. I know that no matter what, however this turns out in my eyes or whatever, that you are there with me. You said you will never leave me or forsake me. We sanctify the Lord God by going to him, putting him first in our lives. And no matter what trial, what tribulation we go through, looking to him for the strength to go through those things. Because he... Just like Abraham, just like Gideon, just like David. You know, David as a young lad went before a giant of a man. You don't think that there wasn't some problems right there in his life. But what did, what did David say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He had sanctified the Lord God in his heart saying, The Lord has been with me, who, who, uh, delivered me from the, the bear and the lion. 
He delivered me from these natural beasts. He'll deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Whenever we go through those trials and tribulations, we face things that we can't take care of ourselves, and that's just about everything in our lives. The Lord needs to be there with us. Because brothers and sisters, I've worked with some men, and we talk about you know, how strong somebody was. And yes, in my younger days, I've told it before from the pulpit and you hear it many times. I thought when I was 16, 17 years old, I'd run through a brick wall if my high school football coach told me to do it. I'd, I'd get in there and I'd press those weights. I'd work out. I'd run those sprints. I thought, man, don't nobody get in my way. If you try to tackle me when I'm running the football, I'm going to make you pay for it. That was my philosophy. You know what? One little wrong hit on my knee stroke me. I wasn't as invisible as I thought I was. I still have her power pain at me today, and I always will be reminded that I ain't. And I ain't. That's a good English for you. I'm not as strong as I think I am. But you know, the Lord has showed me all through my life, I've been right there with you. I have been the one. And so many times I haven't sanctified him. I haven't set him apart in my heart. I was thinking this morning, about it's talking about sanctifying the Lord God in your heart, setting him apart in your heart. Let him be the one that you go to no matter what you face. For a moment, think about that holiest of holies in the tabernacle in the temple. When Moses was given those instructions of how to build that, that tabernacle that they would take with them in the wilderness, and then when they were over into Canaan's land and and Solomon was building that temple there, there was always that holiest of holies. There was that place behind the veil that only one person, the high priest, could go in one time of the year. There was the Ark of the Covenant, the things there that he would go in carrying blood. He had to go in with a sacrifice. But only one man could see that one time of year. No one else was allowed to go in unto the holiest of holies. If any of those Levites that went in it was not supposed to be, you struck dead. They might have caught a glimpse of what was in there, but the Lord's wrath and punishment would have been upon them. Even we know one that other that when that ark was being, the covenant was being sent back on the wagon, not being carried on the stage like it's supposed to, he reached up in good intentions to stabilize, stable the ark because the wagon was, was kind of teetering there a little bit. Thought, well, he didn't want it to fall off. The Lord struck him dead because they weren't even supposed to touch it. But you think about for a moment, what inside that holiest of holies, what it looked like. Now we can go by scripture and, and see the things that the Lord said to put in there in the holiest of holies. We think about a lot of children of Israel. A lot of those that would look at it and go, well, I'm not a Levite. I'm never going to be the high priest. wonder what it looks like in there. What does it look like in there, inside that sanctuary, inside that place that is the holies of the holies? We know there was the ark and the different things for the sacrifice, but other than that, it was not a very cluttered up room. There wasn't a whole lot of furniture or anything in there. And then I think this morning sometimes about when I sanctify the Lord God, do I put him where he rightly belongs? On that pedestal, me bowing down to his feet? Or do I think about a room that he has that ark of that covenant in my imagination? Just Could you just see him setting when that, that uh, cloud would come down upon the, the temple and he would sit there on that 
throne of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And the glory would fill his room, that room. I thought about that vision there. And I thought about my heart. If I sanctify the Lord, I put him where he, his rightful place to be in my heart. In my heart. There's loved ones there. There's people that I care about great and dear. But he is to be the main one that I look at. And I'm thankful that I've been blessed with a help meet that understands this. I love her greatly. But I trust she understands because she tell me this very quick. We love the Lord more. He is the one that is to be sanctified in our hearts. But so many times I look in that holiest of holies in my heart and I put all that other clutter of the world that I've gotten in the way. I've gotten the honey I've got to get out of the way. I've got the worries of the world. I've got the, the hobbies of the world that I need to get out of the way and sanctify the Lord God. Put Him in His rightful place in my heart. Brothers and sisters, that's what Peter is reminding us and telling us. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And he's talking about here the heart of hearts. Do you see Him high and lifted up? And be ready to give always an answer of every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He said, be ready to give an answer. Because Peter can draw back on something, not just one thing, but he really emphasizes something in the, the verses before this. Those first two verses we read. It says, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Who is it that will harm you? You know, some will say the world, you know, Peter and all the apostles, they faced the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman army and the things that they were doing because they were following Jesus Christ. And that's true. They did suffer many things. Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and all the different things and following the Lord Jesus Christ. But who was in the harm? You know, those things are temporal. Now, I don't, like, I don't want anybody coming in here this morning and taking us all to throw us in prison or me or Brother Mark or John Mark or any minister to be taken out and beaten because they're preaching the Word of God. But what did Peter go and say also in verse 14? But in if you suffer for it. Peter's not saying, well, there might come a time and there might not. You know, if you do, Peter's saying, but an if. Because he lived in a time that because of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, there were people who literally wanted to stone him to death. He could even draw back to account that we find in the book of Acts in chapter 4 and chapter 5 in his own ministry. And we're going to just kind of Hit a high point or two because I know the time is, is running out. After they had healed a man that was lame on his feet, and all there, the, the Sadducees and the people in the temple could see this man was one that, that they had uh, healed because of being, he was lame on the first chapter 3. Actually, is where it starts. 3 and 4 says, And Peter fastened his eyes upon him, and John said, Look at us, and then we give heed unto them, expecting to receive some of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. 
Here's a man that was laying on his feet and those around saw Peter and John heal him through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And now when you come over into chapter 4 and they're preaching Jesus Christ, they're preaching that there's the, the hope and the glory that we have through Jesus Christ. And now the Sadducees and the high priests, they're upset about this because people are starting to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. People are starting to, to exercise that faith and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not in those high priests, not in the things of the world. They're starting to sanctify the Lord God, see Him for who He really is. Their eyes have been blessed to see through, through their preaching, they're being touched and pricked in the heart that this is the great I Am. This is the one that Paul, and or not Paul, but Moses and Abraham and all the old prophets were speaking of. Those Sadducees and the high priests didn't like that. Because it said that it cut them to the heart. Because that heart hadn't been changed. So what do they do? They take Peter and John and those around them that are preaching and they start telling them, you don't preach this Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, they can't find anything at that moment to punish them for it. They just said, you don't do it anymore. But you know, even in that, Peter tells them, in verse 18, it says that they called them and commanded, this is 4 and 18 in Acts, them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. He's telling them, don't you even teach, don't even speak the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there are still places in the world today, and sad to say, getting to be more and more, they don't even want you to name Jesus by name. Let alone preach the gospel. My prayer is that the Lord will bless this country that we'd still be able to do that for many, many centuries, or however long it be until the Lord comes back. But that's, that's up to the Lord. But it says in verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto more to you more than God judge you. They just let it attack. Should we hearken unto you as natural men or should we hearken unto God? Should we hearken unto the Christ, the Son of the living God? Remember now, he, Peter was the one who said, Thou art the Christ. And he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood have not revealed a thing, but my Father will art in heaven. Peter had sanctified the Lord. By now, Peter had went through some things. He denied him. Peter had done some things he shouldn't have done. But the Lord, now the Lord, by the grace of God, he is sanctifying him. He's setting him apart from even the Sadducees and the high priests, the authority of the Roman army or whatever. He said, Judge, who should I be following? Who should I hearken unto? The things of the world? The teachings of the world? The teachings of man? Or God's word? And brothers and sisters, that's a question we need to really ask ourselves and be teaching young ones and old ones alike today. Who should we hearken unto? The Amen. things of the world? Or unto God? Amen. Because there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions being asked by a lot of people and I know where the answer is. It's in God's word sanctifying him. But you know, for time's sake, you can go over to chapter 5 and Peter and them, they didn't stop preaching Jesus. They went ahead and continued to preach Jesus Christ. They went on and uh, when the high priest then rose up and they were took him, they took him then and they literally thrust him into prison because we had told you not to do this. We told you not to preach Jesus Christ. We told you not to teach in his name. They threw him into prison. 
And they kept them there. They had the, the guards locked up the prison and everything. They waited. It was towards the evening. Then the next morning they were going to bring them out and they were going to deal with them. And you know what happened when they sent one to the prison? To, find, to bring them out before the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees there? That prison was empty. The door was locked. The keepers and the guards were there. The prison was empty. Because God was with them. Because they had sanctified Him. They were preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Lord was with them. Even to the point the high priest said, that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, that ain't true. How can they get out? There's the guards and the Lord's locked. Somebody's lying to them. I'm paraphrasing just now to think about it. But at that point it says, Now the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest, this is verse 24 in chapter 5, they doubted them where they would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I love that verse. That to me, I just, I, I'm not a John, I just start laughing that. Here's this high priest with all the authority of the high priest, got authority of the Roman army, they're probably standing there. He says, you're looking for the guys who's in prison. They're down at the temple. They're preaching Jesus, just like what you told them not to do. They were not afraid of man. They wanted to sanctify the Lord. They had lifted him up and saying, this is the one we shall heed. And then they come and told him, and then the captain of the officers went and they brought them and said, did we not, we straightly command ye that ye should not teach in his name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. He said, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That, that doctrine they were preaching, it was the doctrine of God. It was the words of God. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need to be continuing to preach is the word of God. That's the word that we need to continue to look at and lift up Jesus Christ and to learn more and more about Him, sanctifying Him and setting Him apart more and more in our hearts and our lives and our minds and our children's lives and our homes and in our churches. We need to lift Him up and put man down where we belong at His feet, worshiping Him. And it says that they brought Him in and they said, you're going to bring this man blood upon us. Well, that blood was upon them because the Lord did hold them accountable for crucifying. As we know, we went on and Peter and the apostles answered said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter's in, got a very lot bolder here. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. He wasn't going to stop preaching Jesus Christ because he had sanctified, he had set the Lord apart from the natural men saying, the high priest, if you start preaching and teaching the words of God, Brothers and sisters, we can have fellowship. If you start following the things of the Lord, we have fellowship. And that's the same thing today. There's many brothers, there's many men that I love. There's many people that I care about. There's some that I cherish. But brothers and sisters, I can't have fellowship with them because they don't preach the words of God. They preach the things of the Word. They preach doctrine that does not go along with the Word of God. We need to sanctify the Lord God. We need to set him apart from the things and teachings of man. And we know that they even go on and they actually beat, uh, beat the apostles and command them they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. Even in being beaten, they rejoiced, said, We were worthy. Not that they thought, Oh, man, I, I've got up a level up here. I. I no, he's saying because 
they saw them sanctifying the Lord God. They saw them putting Jesus Christ as the great I Am, as the, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Peter and them wouldn't try to puff themselves up. They were saying they were thankful that the Lord had counted them, blessed them to be able to preach the gospel and to teach and show the world in the way they walk that this is their Lord and their God. Even if it meant going through great trials and tribulations. And we'll bring this to a close. Back in 1 Peter chapter 15, or chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why would someone ask you of the hope if they didn't see it? Well, John Mark's right on. Why would they punish and beat Peter and John and the apostles because they continue to look at Jesus Christ and preach him. They continue to see him as the Christ. They had a hope just like Abraham did. They had a hope through that faith. They believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus Christ is our refuge. They believe in God and the Lord and He is our shield. They believe through that faith, that hope that we have. Faith is the, is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That hope that we have, it comes from that faith and trusting in the Lord, trusting in our, our Savior, trusting that these words right here, and yes, brothers and sisters, I trust with all my heart, and if the Lord bless me, I want to continue to preach these words of God, because even through these words, we can sanctify the Lord God. Even through these words, we can hold Him up and lift Him up and teach those and show those around us that this is our Lord and Savior. This is the Christ, as Peter would say. That is our hope. And why I have that hope? Because of three words he said on that cross. It is finished. Without those three words, my hope is nothing. If he had went to that tomb, and brothers and sisters, and I'll say this with all sincerity, Jesus Christ could have easily went to that cross, died and paid for every single child of God's sin, and went into that grave and never told us a word about it, we'd still be in heaven some sweet day. But we have hope. We have that faith grounded in Him because He said, it is finished. And you want even another one? Another witness of that? After three days and three nights, He came out of that grave showing there again, through that resurrection, He was who He said He was. He was the Christ. That's where our hope, that's where our faith, that's where our strength, our peace, our comfort needs to be grounded because we sanctify Him, set Him apart from all the things of this world. Now, brothers and sisters, don't go out here and tell Brother Thomas, say, do you just go live as a hermit, do away from the things? No, what I'm trying to say is you've got to live your life. You're still going to have things you've got to deal with and suffer and go through. But when we do that, looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me, then we can face those things a whole lot easier. It's still going to be tough. But we have that strength that Abraham had. Looking to the Lord. I thank you for the Lord. Thank you for your kind attention. May the Lord richly bless you.